everybody. This is Tracy Malone from NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. I am an international coach for victims of narcissistic abuse. And today I'm going to talk with a friend of mine, Sherry Heller. We have an amazing topic and um, she wrote a, a great article on medium.com and I was like we need to, to talk about this because narcissists sabotage people's ambitions their dreams their talents their achievements you know it they took away your job they took away what you your passions were so whether you were an adult child of a narcissist that they took away something when you were younger and said no you'll never do that again uh, they sabotage you out of jealousy and out of anger and all kinds of things. They need to be better than you. So you can't outshine them. So if you have lost something from a narcissist, this is a particular conversation I think you'll find very helpful. So let's go welcome Sherry and we'll learn more about this topic and learn about her in just a little while. Welcome Sherry. I am so excited to see you. Great to see you too, Tracy. I love seeing you and I love your freaking hair. I mean, I really you bottle. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Every time I see it, I'm just so happy. <laughs> so you wrote an article in on Medium, right? And it, and it has to do with narcissists sabotaging people's ambitions, destroying their careers, their talents, their achievements. What was your motivation to write this? Well, the motivation emanated from my own personal history, and I think that was reignited by the group that I am facilitating for survivors of narcissistic abuse. And I see um, some people in the group have been derailed from their careers in different ways. Um, my situation, it was more from a parental narcissist, my, specifically my father, who really was um, instrumental in sabotaging my pursuit of acting as a child. And for me, that was a particularly um, mortifying loss because there was so much trauma in the home with my father's narcissism and my mother's schizophrenia. And this was a place where I actually was able to, to achieve creative expression. And I was very, very shy. And I was even a selective mute as a young child. So to find my voice was tremendously therapeutic and healing. And I, you know, in hindsight, I could see that he saw <clears throat> that it um, empowered me. So that's a big threat for any narcissist. And so one day when um, my mother brought me to class, I was not allowed in. It was very humiliating. He just stopped payments. And that was the end of it. You know, I was, I never returned. And that was a very eye-opening kind of trajectory to examining the dynamic with my father and the way he needed to leverage himself with people. Mm -hmm. So... Across the board, I, I see it even, you know, with people in my life on a personal level who come from narcissistic family systems or my clients that I work with, um, whether it's in the public sector, working in the marketplace, or whether it's in the arts, the, the narcissist, whether they're a malignant narcissist, a vindictive narcissist, a vulnerable narcissist, they see the other's talents and achievements as a means <clears throat> to covet something that they want for themselves 
and they also see it as a threat to their domination. So there are many layers to this mm -hmm. um, because they want what you have, and then they also want to make sure that you don't have these strengths, these accomplishments, because that will um, take away from their ability to control and manipulate. So they, it gives them power. Yeah. Take away from you what you're so excited to have. It's like they got the control. Yeah. Oops, sorry, I'm taking that away. Mm -hmm. Yes, they need to take it away because they're insatiable. They need to feed their parasitic predilections. And um, you are strictly there to be objectified, to be malleable supply. Uh, they can, you know, in the idealization stage, when you are identified as a source of supply, of course, what you possess with can be vicarious stature. Um, inevitably, however, um, the need to punish always will kick in because human fallibility, any kind of shortcoming, any kind of need is a tremendous injury to the narcissist. It, it induces a, a level of rage that's inconceivable. And so destroying that, which brings anyone a degree of pleasure, is a driving force mm -hmm. for the narcissist. And they will triangulate people, you know, in your orbit to do that. Um, and there are all kinds of strategies and tactics to make it seem like they're aligned with you and they're supporting you when, in fact, what they're doing is they are maneuvering <clears throat> to pull out the rug from underneath you. Yeah, I had, I had, you know, my career was given up for my husband and I was sold. Mm -hmm. You don't have to work thing, you know, and that's mm -hmm. one of my biggest regrets. So I lost, you know, 10 years of my life and it was a software engineer. You can't go back, mm -hmm. not, right. not keeping up with it for 10 years. And so, you know, that was taken away. But as we were planning and thinking about this talk, I also flashed back to, you know, I was loved baking. Mm -hmm love baking i went to the new school city to learn how to bake things and i made cakes and masterful things that made new wow. and my parents would look at them and say well they look pretty but they don't taste that good right um, right yeah and go yeah well don't eat it anybody it's pretty but don't eat it meanwhile i'm like trained in and and making desserts for restaurants all over town but they would just dig and dig and just sit there yes yeah the indoctrination yeah yeah so that's so yeah if you're not the golden child where you're encouraged in order to be um vicarious supply to and then your control completely because you have to follow the path that is set forth by, by the narcissist. You're not allowed to individuate or to exist for yourself. Um, but yeah, I remember when I, when I even entered college, I was so shocked by the feedback I got from my professors. I really thought I was stupid. Um, and I was, you know, I had professors encouraging me to go into honors programs, and then I went on to graduate school, and I, uh, you know, that, and, and also being in trauma-informed treatment really helped me to have a accurate reflection of myself and my capability, but I was so beaten down <clears throat> by the constant um, trivializing of my gifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even, you know, 
not even being celebrated or championed, but the breaking down, the dehumanization that children of narcissistic parents go through. So it's the same thing, you know, it's different in terms of the complex trauma that you go through developmentally in a narcissistic family, but people who are involved with narcissists, whether they marry or they become romantically involved or they work for someone, a CEO, um, I mean, I've got stories there that'll blow your mind. <laughs> people who actually had death threats leveled uh, against them. Um, and then we're talking about psychopaths. So, you know, as we know, it's a spectrum disorder. So when you get into the rigid end of the spectrum where there is narcissistic pathology, um, you, it doesn't matter what the situation is, the narcissist must tear you down so that they can extract what they need from you. And so any kind of career, any kind of gift <clears throat> accomplishment is a threat. And also it could be co-opted. It could be nicely utilized as their own. Suddenly they did this. I have clients who were photographers. One guy, his father said it was his photography. Um, so, you know, there's no respect of intellectual property. I mean, everything belongs to the abuser. And then there's competition, right? There's this envy, there's this jealousy mm -hmm. competition. And so, you know, yeah. when the, um, photography, my mouth went, oh, you know, <laughs> I had a dark room growing up. I was a pretty darn good photographer. And then when we moved here, my husband had lots of cameras, but he, he you know, his work was okay. But we went to a photography club and, and you submitted like it was birds this month and you bring a bird picture <laughs> and, and the best ones were voted by the 40 people in the room and then they went in the newspaper and I was always making it in the newspaper and he was so jealous and his reaction to that was I'm going to buy a better camera I'm going to buy a $20,000 camera I'm going to buy a this I'm going to you know it was always that but it, he didn't have yeah. but it didn't matter but then he was so jealous and he made it so horrible I gave up photography I have right. not picked it yeah. up and he's been gone for 10 years. I'm like, you know what? It's just That's like, a shame. It, it took it away from me and the passion's gone. I've moved on. Mm. It's something else. But yeah, we tend to take things again and be competitive. Like if you were talking about playing the guitar, then all of a sudden they play the guitar. Yeah. They take your light and, and, you know, take it away from you. So there's so many ways they can like destroy people's passions and mm -hmm love for something and and this is why we have to talk about this because i don't think you and i know a single client that has not lost something whether it's even yeah. themselves or like we're talking about passions they don't even know who they are anymore because right right you're stolen and you're not allowed to do what you loved or you're put down every time you do it and you go oh i'm not doing that anymore you know mm -hmm. we, we're trained we're groomed into yeah, acquiescing to what they want us to do just to keep the peace and not have a fight that day. And then again, another little piece of your soul is sucked away. Yeah. And this is, it's so true. And this is why so many um, victims of narcissistic abuse end up feeling like imposters. Um, even, even people who had some degree of secure attachment growing up and then later encountered a narcissist feel that they lost sight of who they were. They don't have an accurate sense of perception because of the cognitive dissonance, all the gaslighting. 
and being derailed, you know, even when someone intrinsically knows that they're an artist, for example, or I had a client who I was sharing with you about who was an actress and grew up, both her parents were in, um, were musicians. She met her husband in, he was also an actor and they met in graduate school. She was fully scholarship. He always told her she was lucky that she got the lead. So she went on believing that even when she made it on Broadway, she was just lucky. Um, and a lot of the therapy had to dismantle that insidious indoctrination and for her to get back on track to try to realize um, what was her birthright. She was really meant to be a, this creative artist that she um, that she was. And yet, you know, you can't take back those years. So once you're derailed and he would, you know, when they had a child then he would say, I'll, I'll be there and you can go for an audition. And she would always get callbacks. And then it was, he would of course not show up. So he would sabotage her efforts to actualize a career that I, I believe, given everything that I know about her, would have been highly successful. She was already on that track in spite of what he was trying to do. So, you know, there are so many things here. There's the, the envy, the hate that is ignited by someone having something that they don't have and them gleaning some admiration because they're addicted to being admired. They need to have that constant worship. Uh, the need for attention is just insatiable. So the target is, is never allowed to share the limelight and, and is, is only a conduit for them to get some uh, attention, whether it's co-opting from their achievements, their successes, which ultimately they will steal. Um, and completely destroy in the end because they can't subsist on, you know, just someone having something that they don't, that isn't theirs. Uh, so ultimately the person is reduced to nothing. That's the end game to complete dehumanization. So, um, this is a critical piece in making sure that someone, and it's sort of like what Gabor Mate, who's a pioneer in trauma treatment, um, said the essence of trauma really is a loss of self. And so the narcissist is very deliberately and strategic driven to make sure <clears throat> that they break down the person so that they are left with nothing. Yeah. And, and I know that like a victim can go the way we've been talking about, which is I gave up photography. I gave up my bye-bye. Mm -hmm. You know, thank you for that part. What else would you like to take off of me, right? But then there's mm -hmm. another part for me, and I know it's for others too, is they said I couldn't, and so I fucking did. And I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I my video. But it is, mm -hmm. I pushed out, and, my, and the last yeah. thing my father said, which was two years ago, right before my book came out, you're writing a book? Mm -hmm. Who the hell would read your book? You never even wrote a term paper. And I said, really? Watch me. Like that moved me into a place yeah. of empowerment. And I right. think it wouldn't have happened had the trauma not been healed. Right. Mm. I think if I yeah. had been back where I was much more mm. under control of my parents and and what they said, and, and obviously it did wound me, I had to heal that stuff. But now it empowers me. Yeah, go ahead, dare me. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll take any challenge and I'll push it past that. So there's a yeah 
I think in recovery where we do take back these things, right? We, we yes. slowly, and it might just be, okay, I'll go take a picture or I'll, I'll start here. But like when yeah. someone pushes me and says, yeah, good luck with that. I'm like, yeah, watch me. And mm -hmm. that's the ultimate in healing is I pushed past the lies. I pushed past. Right, the, right. I push past it and it means nothing. It's like a mosquito buzzing around my head. I mean, yeah. I tell it to people because it shows how, you know, venomous that kind of comment was. The last thing you want me to remember is that really, you know, yeah. you know what? It's okay because it yeah. means who I am. And I wouldn't have done that. Do you have people um, like that, that again, once they're through the trauma, they take back their power? Yes. I mean, I think that is part of the thriving that follows remembrance and mourning. I think though, um, to get there is grueling because <clears throat> the notion that another would be sadistically and vindictively driven to tear you down, um, to basically destroy you is a very surreal, um, idea. You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't align with our sense of humanity. We don't, you know, and this is something you and I talk about a lot. It relates to the whole premise of human evil and having to really accept that someone that you love, someone that you trusted, that you um, <clears throat> allowed into your life was from the get-go intent on tearing you down, reducing you to nothing and, and robbing you of whatever it is that uh, embodied who you are, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> before you could even try to reclaim and not all things can be reclaimed, there is such a prolonged descent into this dark space mm -hmm. of mourning. Um, and there is a lot of trapped grief and also a lot of trapped rage. People really struggle with this. It's like coming out of a cult um, because it's also, it's very terrifying to expand one's consciousness to be inclusive of human evil, to see that people actually will lie <clears throat> and backstab, deceive, I mean, gossiping also the way there is the divide and conquer, the triangulation, using other people to tear you down, to destroy your reputation behind your back. <clears throat> These things actually happen. And yet, you know, I had this with a, I wrote a piece of gaslighting friend with a woman I was friends with who was like this shaman um, healer who <clears throat> would backstab me behind my back and, but would tell me she was so, uh, concerned about my empowerment and me with my codependency, I'm <clears throat> thinking she's aligned with me, not seeing that boundaries are being crossed until I finally woke up and told her, you, my, my power is none of your fucking business. Mm -hmm. My relationship to who I am <clears throat> is between me and God, because I do believe in God, but, you know, essentially it comes down to your reclamation with um with yourself and really a trusted those people who are trusted allies and so feeding off of the other person's need to feel that they are encouraged and that they actually the narcissist will pretend to want you to achieve or want you to mm -hmm. go after what you want it's all <clears throat> um it's all smoke and mirrors 
It's all about getting you to a point where you actually trust. And so that when you are, by the time you're blindsided, you are so bewildered that your mind scrambles to figure out um, how this could have possibly have happened. And, and it must be a big misunderstanding. And then it just is a, the, the constant breakdown. So some people get out sooner than others. I mean, um, people, some people have allies who see it. A lot of people do not see it. So, but the reclamation piece after, after the morning, after the complete and utter breakdown and the rebuilding of one's worldview um, and, a, and a code of conduct to know how to protect oneself in the world, then one can reclaim their ambitions mm -hmm. because most people, when they come out of these relationships are terrified, you know, they have a hard time engaging with others. There's a lot of fear. <clears throat> There's a lot of activation. You know, the amygdala is on overdrive. The brain is hijacked. Um, they're not differentiating the past from the present. So even just feeling safe and then they have, they're being hoovered, you know, constantly. And so um, until they can really detach with an ax and break away, uh -huh. it's very difficult then to begin to pivot and look at rebuilding one's sense of self, one's identity, and exhuming those gifts, those talents, those achievements um, that are inherent and that have been dormant, you know, for so long. And and after this kind of betrayal, where you <clears throat> learn that someone has deliberately done these things, um, it's so hard to trust again, right? So I think. Yeah. Trust is is part of this picture of recovery is, you know what, I think I can play the piano again, I, you know, it's trusting yeah. and then trusting, <clears throat> again, trusting self first before we even open the door to trusting others, because if we don't trust ourselves, we can't trust another. And so mm -hmm. you know, just having that, the betrayal really, again, it ebbs that away. We might be talking about playing the guitar and cooking and, and other things that we're taking yeah. from the truth was it's it's hardcore in the emotions in in the, the yeah of trust and you know again the anger the things that we're going to carry from how dare they who does this and and right. all sort of messages that we get um is there something else that we're missing here to close out today what else should well we i think i think what you just said is really important in terms of um sharing and i had this conversation with a client years ago who was a second generation holocaust survivor and she was an artist <clears throat> and um her in her history obviously severe generational trauma a lot of the art the everything that her family worked for was taken so um she became very insular with her art we talked about the need to share art you know, um, if you cook, you want to share a meal. If you, you know, you want to play music with people. Um, even you and I, what we're doing, sharing this and, and allowing others in. I mean, when I was, you know, growing up, I, when I had acting taken from me, you know, just kind of um, pulled away from me, I became very insular and became a selective mute in a lot of ways. I really had to work to get my voice back. 
So I think a big piece of it is to try to trust again so you can share your gifts. So you're not just in a bubble yeah. hiding from the world. And that is a huge um, undertaking mm -hmm. for survivors of narcissistic abuse. Mm -hmm. um, the impulse to protect the self, it can become, it goes through, I think, a stage where there's an extreme need to make sure that they are not harmed again mm -hmm. but you know and i said this to uh someone i was talking about who's dealing with uh the aftermath of betrayal you you can't love and not risk being betrayed that's the paradox mm -hmm. so at some point one has to have the courage to go out there and also to trust that if they encounter someone who is maneuvering in a way and that is duplicitous and they're hard to detect um even for the best of us who who have been there um and who have like just made this into a uh a huge undertaking extra uh, understanding the machinations of narc abuse and the pathology they could be very polished very refined but you had some point you had to say look i i have to share this i can't live in isolation with who I am for the rest of my life. And that's that's the pivotal step, I think. <clears throat> this was so helpful. I love having this discussion because everybody has had something taken away. And I mm -hmm. think help them A, feel like they're not alone and, and see that it is one of the things that narcissists do. And that kind of just like validates, okay, it's not just me, I'm not, not an artist or you know it, it's taking mm -hmm. power to understand you're not alone and this was done to them this was yeah. done to you and i this was done to all of our clients and so mm -hmm. you know, to know that they're not alone is important here so tell me i know you are in canada now because you were mm -hmm. new york so tell my audience how they can reach you and find out more about you because you've got your groups in canada and you do mm -hmm. private thing. Tell tell the audience a little bit about how to reach you Okay, well, I would love to hear from you. I can be reached at my website at sherrytherapist.com. That's one word. And all my information is listed on my website. I also have a blog on Medium uh, where I have a, a multiplicity of articles, but uh, many of my articles are about recovery from narcissistic abuse. And so I'd love to share my work with you. And believe me, everybody, if you have not read her work, you're missing something. She is brilliant. I was rereading this article this morning and I'm like, man, this should be in like the New York Times. <laughs> it is so good and so thank you. And, and I really appreciate all the work that you give to the community. You also blog for us and we've got yes. your blogs on my site. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful for that contribution. Mm -hmm. It makes us a better blog for the world. <laughs> Thank you. Thank this you, Tracy. Trace, um, Sherry, thank you so much for, for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to see you as always. Well, I hope this triggered you a little bit to say that happened to me too, or, you know, there's that camp of me giving up my photography and never doing it again, or the camp of me going, screw you, I'm going to fight back and I'm going to publish my books and I'm going to do push past the negative thoughts that the narcissists have put into my head. It took me years. Please don't think this was a, 
I just fixed myself like I was in therapy for a very long time working through the trauma and it wasn't just the marriage trauma the relationship trauma it was my childhood messages and the programming that I had to push past so this is Tracy Malone if you are looking for resources on narcissistic abuse go to my website NarcissistAbuseSupport.com we've got pages and pages and and so many different agencies and and groups and all kinds of things that you can find to help yourself also I am a coach so if you are in need of help and you want to just push past or ask questions or get direction I'm here for you so follow the link down below and I'll see you guys soon thank you